Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail, well, like a lot of people, I saw the pictures of the new baby otters at Auckland Zoo. The fluffy bundles all squished together was my main motivation to mastermind a plan to do a story there in the hopes of seeing them in real life. Spoiler alert, I didn't. The babies are still hanging out in otter nests away from the public eye for a few more weeks. I did, however, see and hear a lot of other things. As a child, zoos hold that sense of wonder and imagination. But when you grow older, ethical and moral concerns creep through. Don't wild animals belong in the wild? And do zoos still hold a place in modern society? Kia ora. Uh, kia ora. <laughs> nice to meet you, Richard. So you're going to take me for a bit of a walk about the zoo today, aren't you? Yes, and yeah. it's a beautiful day for it too. Awesome. Richard Jakobhoff is in charge of conservation planning at Auckland Zoo. We're now here at what we call the old elephant house. And this goes right back to the beginning of the zoo in 1922. Okay, yes. Nearly 100 years of Auckland Nearly Zoo. Nearly 100 years ago. And uh, when I arrived here, this was still in operation. The Elephant House is now a restaurant, but it's hard to believe it was once big enough to house an elephant. The year was 1989, and animal welfare, well, it wasn't great. We only had one elephant, right. and uh, she was called Cashin. Mm. She's much beloved elephant mm. throughout New Zealand. By the time I came here, they'd actually stopped doing the elephant rides, mm. but uh, she was still in this place which... Inside, there was just two kind of uh, cubicles, if you like, and uh, she was in one of them, and at night she was chained at night, and mm. um, the people who looked after her were actually loved her, and they were totally devoted to her, but mm. they hadn't had the opportunity to get the training from people who really understood How you to know, actually elephants, look after elephants. Elephants. Mm. And... Um, because it does look quite small for an elephant. It's not uh, it, a very it is, big. It is very small. And uh, if you can imagine just being in there shackled overnight, which is like most of your day, mm. the 24 hours, yeah. that's a pretty awful existence. And as a result, she uh, not only um, did things like swaying from side to side, she was mentally disturbed, mm. uh, but also she had uh, stacked on a lot of weight. Uh, so my first role here was as the uh, what's now called the head of life sciences, mm. uh, but was then called the senior curator. And one of my first jobs was to put her on a diet. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we managed to uh, get a, uh, uh, a firm that makes truck weighing scales mm. to come and bring their weighing scales here on a regular basis so we could weigh her and see how the diet was going. And how did it go? It went really well. She lost... <laughs> Over, I think, 18 months, she lost a tonne of weight. Mm. So uh, over a 1,000 kilograms. Mm. And also that made her more energetic. That meant we could take her for longer walks mm. and just increase her exercise. And I think her quality of life really improved. But she still had to be in this, in this Very building. Very small, small building. We also mm. stopped sh shackling her at night, mm. gave her a bit more freedom in there. Um, but also um, the first... Thing, the first thing we had to pay attention to was rehousing her. 
that's not the only slice of a dark past at Auckland Zoo. I asked Richard about what was known as the Tea Party Chimps. So uh, it involved dressing them up in children's clothes and, and actually having a, a table and chairs and, and a tea set. And basically, and, and the keeper would kind of supervise everything and they would, you know, mess around with the, the teacups. I never actually, this was well before my time and I, mm. I never actually saw this, but um, uh, I, I've seen it on television. And it was uh, typical, at the time that I came, it was typical of the kind of enclosures that the animals had, which was concrete and bars. Um, And um, the difficulty with animals that have got a long lifespan and they've been here for a long time is that you have a responsibility to look after the quality of their lives Mm -hmm. to the end of their lives. And you can't just... Just because people don't like the look of what they're in, you can't just say, well, OK, we'll send them somewhere else, kind of out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. No, we have a responsibility. So what we did was, uh, to them, that was like our grandparents living in a small apartment. Even though there was nothing flash, uh, it was home to them. It mm-hmm. was familiar to them. Uh, what we did was to make it more interesting and engage their minds was that um, the keepers spent more and more time with with them as companions and also giving them challenging games to play and puzzles to solve and things like that. And so we did the best we could in those facilities to look after their welfare until they eventually died. But, of course, because they'd been tea party gyms, as young animals... Mm. Their minds had been screwed up pretty much from the beginning. Uh, they didn't really know how to be a chimp mm. because they were brought up as kind of comical human beings. There were other animals kept in dubious circumstances as well. Different species of birds all crammed into a tiny aviary. Bison, even a polar bear, which used to pace frantically in the hot Auckland sun. But in 1988, things started to change. Laura Moomore, a marine biologist, took over as the director of Auckland Zoo. She was the person who hired Richard to lead the shift of the zoo to become a place of conservation. At the time, Auckland was going through uh, one of the amalgamations of councils right throughout New Zealand, and there was a whole rethink of going on because the zoo is is owned by the council and so there's also a rethink about what is a zoo about how does it serve uh, the ratepayers for instance who pay mm. you know subsidize it and uh, and bringing Laura on they're really interested in her ideas about turning it into a conservation zoo one of the first things I had to do was to think about well if it's going to be a conservation zoo which animals should we focus on? Because it's one thing to have a wide variety of, of animals, but what's the purpose? How do they serve the purpose yeah. of conservation? We uh, reviewed all of the animals against uh, what they could help us contribute towards conservation, education, research. And that vastly changed the, the nature of the animal collection. 
But obviously, as I said before, we have a responsibility for these animals for their lives. And certainly some of them were transferred to other zoos, but only if we were happy they were going to have a decent life there. Right. And the others, well, we just kept until they eventually passed away. Do you believe that there is still a place for zoos in, in modern society? I think they're essential, actually. Um, the reason I think that is because so many of us, the majority of us now, us people, are urbanised. Mm. We don't have that opportunity to go and experience wild animals in the wild uh, like we used to. And that makes us, you know, it is, the thing about out of sight, out of mind is really true. Mm. Why would you think about something that you've never seen? So you don't think people can form that kind of attachment through, yeah, like a movie or like a virtual kind of experience? Well, think about it yourself, do you? <laughs> I guess, you know... Answer your own question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm thinking about different films and stuff, you, people still do form connections through yeah. films. Mm. OK, well, I suppose that maybe it's a different... It's a nature of it, a, a different kind of a connection. Um, it's more of an intellectual one to me. Mm. in a heart-based one. Uh, mm. I mean, I'm a terrible crier at movies. I do get it moved by movies. <laughs> but, you know, once it's over, it's over, and I kind of, you know, forget about it. But if I've had a personal experience, like, say, meeting Cashin, which mm. a lot of New Zealanders have had, then um, that'll stay with me for the rest of my life. But it's a fine balance between education and generating interest for conservation and keeping wild animals locked up. Auckland Zoo has come a long way. You only have to walk around it to see. Gone are the concrete cages. The enclosures now are all designed to match the natural habitat of the animals as much as possible. The new orangutan home, and I call it a home because they're not enclosed at all, features 25-metre-high towers connected to each other with ropes. This means the primates are able to swing above the public path to different parts of the zoo. There's the New Zealand Centre for Conservation, where many endangered kakapo were treated after being infected with a deadly fungal disease last year. The Conservation Fund has contributed more than $4 million to conservation projects all over the world. Kevin Bewley is the director of Auckland Zoo, and he admits even he used to be sceptical of zoos. So many people still have a, an understandable issue about zoos and a problem with zoos. Um, indeed, I have a problem with the vast majority of zoos in the world because um, there are a lot of bad ones out there. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's why, you know, whether it's a historic perception of zoos or whether it's the, the ongoing persistence of bad zoos, people's reluctance, reticence about them is understandable. And, and animals in zoos do suffer, in a lot of zoos. Um, but in good zoos, when you get it right, um, they can have a better life than their counterparts in the wild. So how do you get that right? What constitutes a good zoo and what constitutes a bad zoo? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, so first and foremost, I think one, one of the key things is about accreditation. Um, mm. so, so Auckland Zoo is actually unique and it's accredited by two regional bodies. Um, not just our peer association in Australasia, um, which has about 100 members, but also by the European Zoo Association. So we're, we're the only Australasian member of the European Zoo Association, right. which has about 400 members. And we're accredited by that body as well. So, so accreditation by your peers and by external 
um, assessors, as it were, is fundamental because they are looking at what you do and how you do it, and they're giving a seal of approval, as it were. So first and foremost, look for accreditation, a zoo that's accredited. Then you've got to look at what they're doing in terms of wildlife conservation. So, so a good zoo, that should be the only reason it exists. Okay, So you don't want a zoo or an aquarium that's there for profit, um, because then the priorities lie elsewhere other than the care of the wildlife or the conservation mission of the organisation. So the only reason Auckland Zoo exists is for wildlife conservation. So if mm. you've got accreditation, if you've got a not-for-profit organisation that's focused on wildlife conservation in all its forms, then you're on the path to being a good zoo. When, when we're talking about these modern zoos, which are doing this kind of conservation work, what do you think is the breakdown? You know, like, do we have more zoos who have this kind of vision, or are there more bad zoos out there? Uh, simple answer to that is yes, there are more bad zoos than good zoos. Um, I haven't done the maths, um, but I would estimate that 90% of the zoos out there you would you would classify as dysfunctional, bad, and, and should be rapidly improved today or shut down. So if you're dealing with an industry where 90% of your peers aren't much good, um, then you can understand why people might have a perception problem with zoos generally. Mm. Um, so that's why accreditation is so important because it helps raise standards of, mm. of those zoos that are struggling. Um, and I think a lot of it is 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 not people are generally well-meaning. You won't find people working in bad zoos that think they're working in a bad zoo. Um, generally, the people that run zoos that aren't doing what they could and should be doing um, are generally well-meaning. It's it's about having the expertise and the resources to do it properly, and that's where. Where Auckland Zoo is extremely fortunate to be part of Auckland Council, the wider Auckland Council family, and under regional facilities Auckland. Um, and as a, as a not for profit organisation, we are able to focus on our mission, our conservation mission, in a way that other zoos may not be so fortunate um, to be able to do. Mm. And so, so you know, it, it's, it's an ideal setting really for a good zoo like Auckland to flourish you know, with the support of local government. With the support of our local community, we've been able to move this organisation forward in a way that, that few other zoos have been able to make such progress in recent years. Do you think there ever will be different animals that you decide maybe it's not great to have them in a zoo? And I know Auckland Zoo has really been on that journey in terms of not having any more polar bears and stuff like that. But what about current animals that you have in the zoo that maybe in the future you think actually they shouldn't be in a zoo yeah so i think that that that's the sort of thing that that we need to continually review um and certainly you know as you will have seen this morning um you've seen our new orangutan mm, habitat yes. um and the animals thriving in that space so were we not in a fortunate position where we could rebuild that habitat space for them we would have gone out of the species we, w we would have moved those animals to a, another good home elsewhere um because we wouldn't have been provide, able to provide the level of care and, and, and the accommodation that those animals deserve and need in years to come. So it's very much a case of continually looking at the species that we have here and the species that we care for. And yes, there will be times when we decide to, to, to move out of certain species or bring new species in um, as the collection continually involves. 
Um, so we've done that, as you say, I mean, we had polar bears here and I've seen the pictures long before more my time. Mm. And, and I, I, could, yeah, I saw a, the original zoo guide from 1918. Um, and believe it or not, we had an elephant seal here. Um, in 19, I, I wow. couldn't believe it. I, I hate to think where that thing was kept mm. um, and the type of life it had. Mm. Um, but, but yes, they're, they're, they're a species that we would never entertain bringing back into the zoo here. It just wouldn't be appropriate. Mm. And we will continually review how the collection here is doing and how the animals are doing and, and how we can invest in them in the future. Mm. Lots of school children. This is, uh, this is a group of tomorrow's conservationists coming through here. And what, 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 is it, what does it mean to be a tomorrow conservationist? Well, this place is also an incubator uh, for conservationists. We hatch them here, <laughs> fledge them and send them out into the world. <laughs> yeah, see, we're passing so, through a group okay. right now. Richard Jakobhoff may joke about hatching young conservationists at the zoo, but education is a major focus for Auckland Zoo. We also have an outreach education um, team who go out and, and take groups of school children to um, their natural areas in their neighbourhood mm-hmm. and show them how, for instance, to um, look for birds and identify them. Right. Um, how to use some of the conservation tools that Doc uses, like telemetry, aerials for tracking animals with transmitters on them, mm. um, and tracking tunnels for finding out which animals have gone through a little tunnel by leaving their footprints behind. We also have people from all over the world come to, a, um, to take part in a six-month internship here, working alongside the keepers and then taking that back to wherever they live and applying it either to their own oh, stop here, either to another zoo or mm. to other work. Lots of them don't work in zoos necessarily, they might go and work for a, you know, a wildlife agency or a Greenpeace or some other mm. you know, conservation organisation. And so w- what do you hope for the future of, of zoos and also specifically Auckland? I hope for the future that we won't be needed. That's really what I hope, because we need to change the way we behave on the planet. Mm. The reason that we're needed now is because uh, so many of these species wouldn't survive without help, whether it's help here in a zoo or whether it's help out in the wild. There's virtually no place on Earth that is untouched by human beings. And it doesn't have to be like that. We can behave differently, and that's the great thing about... One of the things that that I believe is in the power of imagination. And if we couldn't imagine that this zoo could be made into a conservation zoo, it wouldn't have happened. And the people who are now managing the zoo have that imagination, and they, they, you know, they're younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, we won't ask you how old you are, Richard. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to turn 70 next year. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm very encouraged by uh, the how switched on they are, mm. how de- dedicated and devoted they are, every bit as much as I am, and um, that it's in really good hands. And I think it'll just keep building on the, the work we've done so far.
That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Our engineer today was Adrian Holley, Alexa Russell was the producer, and thanks to Richard Jakob Hoff and Kevin Bully. Kakite anō.